0: Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, B.C. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Great to have you here. If you were... If you're back maybe for the second time, maybe you just joined us last Easter, or like last week for Easter, I just want to say welcome to you. Really glad you've come back and and you're joining us again. Uh, Just trust and believe that today is going to be a blessing for you. Um, We are, uh, like Pastor Steph said, starting a new series today called Heroes, and um, this series is designed for us to just look at some of kind of the ancient heroes we read about so much in our Bible. If you were to go to Hebrews 11 right now, you would read um, a great chapter on faith, uh, known as kind of the Hall of Faith, where, where the writer really like takes all these different people who just lived a life of radical obedience and devotion to God. And I think coming out of Easter, and just even like as we read our Bible, every week we open this book and we look at the Scriptures, and it looks different to all of us, and, and we dif- take different contexts. Sometimes it's Old Testament, sometimes it's New Testament, sometimes it's the Gospels, it's a parable. But sometimes we don't really unpack the writer himself or herself, or whoever it may be. And so we're going to look at just three men, three women, who were just leaders, courageous in faith, but not necessarily because they set out to be. And I think that's what I find so compelling about the writers and the disciples themselves. The book of Acts says that they were just ordinary, unschooled men. Like, they didn't set out to become these, like, like generational faith. Like, they didn't go for the spectacle of it. That's not, that's not the approach that was taken. There was just an obedience to God and obedience to a call. And so again, I just, these are real people who walked a road not even so different than us. If you look at some of their stories, they faced hardship, exile, comparison. They, they came up against ethical dilemmas, political challenges. Their marriages were, were, were being held in the balance. Um, they were faced with demands from kings and, and queens, like, like even the requests of God. Yet they all found a way to live out a radical faith that changed the world. I look at these people who, who have statues of them that we go and visit on cruises and things. And I wonder if, if they really tried to re- live their lives in a way of thinking, I hope someday someone reads this. I hope they do a marble statue of me somewhere one day. And I don't see that. I see people and I, 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 who, like you can't read the story of Rahab and not just feel truly inspired. You can't, you can't look at someone like Stephen who shows up kind of in, in like the early chapters of Acts and say, wow, what a man of God. What a courageous faith. And so I, I read these stories and I look back and I, coming out of the resurrection, coming out of Easter, I just think, Lord, how can I, how can we as a church live a life of radical devotion and commitment to Jesus? And it's going to look differently for all of us. And so I just... I don't know, for the next six weeks, we as preachers and different people are going to be able to speak into it. We're just going to try our best to unpack the incredible faith, the incredible courageous faith of some of the Bible's biggest heroes, Uh, just some of their defining moments, specific themes of their writings, Um, one or two pieces. I understand, and I hope you can understand too, we can't unpack it all. We're just like, you know, that first scoop of ice, that's all we're doing. We're just getting the top layer here of these different people. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to jump into it. when I say hero, I wonder what comes to your mind. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a, a figure. Honestly, like take out your phone right now. Uh, if you're taking notes, like write down three heroes. Could be, could be biblical, could be people in your life, could be, uh, and I did this exercise this week. I was just writing down names of heroes. I was like, who do I, what really comes to mind when I say the word hero? When we do a whole series titled heroes. My first thought was Joshua. We did a series in November about Joshua and I'm still just kind of, reveling in his story. I think of my my wonderful grandma, who was just a woman of faith, her name was Rita. She's home with the Lord now, but I miss her, and I just, I'm so in awe of how she just lived a obedient, quiet, beautiful life, lived with a legacy of faith. I think of some more people you can read about, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a spy, who was a martyr, was a church planter during World War II. I think of Eugene Peterson. Who we know is a commentator for the the word the message, but really was just a humble pastor who just wanted to live obediently. I think of Batman. (laughs) It's true, I do. I don't care what you say, he's the best. Grade 12, I had one essay to write worth 50% of my mark. It was Batman versus Spider Man. That was the title. I wrote it. Batman wins, obviously, because he's the best. I'll debate you after. We can have a conversation about it. But I just, you know, I think of, like, my, my son is so into superheroes right now. He's into Spider-Man. Breaks my heart. But, you know, I love him. And we had, a, his birthday was yesterday. And he has, like, nine little Spider-Mans. And I had to hide them all over the house. And he, 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 like he, like, there's something about the superhero, right? Of course, we see that with Marvel and all the things. I think of anyone who knows how to barbecue chicken properly. You're a real hero, honestly. I really mean that. I know not all heroes wear capes, but a lot of them wear aprons. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, seriously, I, I'll never forget the day when uh, I, was, I was over at my, my, my in-law's house, and my father-in-law Preston, who I love dearly, he, I love him, and he does many things well. But barbecuing is, is well, let's just say he's passed the baton to me. And, but here's the beautiful thing, humble man. I'll never forget the day I, I made my father-in-law a steak. And I cooked it perfectly. And he looked over at me. No words, just, that's it. That's it, that's all he did. And I knew, I'm a hero. <laughs> if you can cook your father-in-law steak and he not smile at you, but just give you a wink. Again to you, I say, well done. Like it's, you know, and I'm, I'm obviously being facetious, but the barbecue is a real hard thing. And those who can do it, good for you. But I, I, I'm kidding a little bit, sort of, but you really see my point. We hold people in, in, in a high view. I, I hold my father-in-law in a very high view. I hold my wife. I see her and, I, and what she does and, on a daily basis and for our life and for our family. I look at my parents and my brother. And my, I look at people even really just close to me and I think, man, these are like, I really see them in, as higher than just a brother or a friend or a parent or an in-law. Like I see them as, as heroes, heroes of faith, heroes of people who I, I look up to. And I, I really am compelled to say that I don't think the greatest heroes aim to become one. The greatest heroes never—they're not like their goal is not to become a hero, like it's—it's it's not like they want to be known for this thing. Like they really just emulate something, something so powerful and beautiful in their life that you look at it and you're like, oh, I just want a piece of that. If I could just get some of that, and I really mean that—that's what I love. That's what I'm drawn to and inspires me. That that heroes don't fight for the fame. Greatest heroes never aim to become one. They just make incredible impact in our lives. And so they faithfully live and walk in obedience. They care for others. They leave a legacy of faith and belief in their wake. And especially in our Christian faith. And so today we want to look at James. So if you have your Bible, you can go. There's a blue one in front of you. I think it's like page 977 or so that we'll be on. And this is a guy who didn't set out to be powerful. Um, this is not James, he's not one of the original disciples of Jesus. That's James, the son of Alphaeus, and James, um, who's brother of John, uh, sons of Zebedee, like, those are two different guys. This is James, the, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, known in, to us, at least in the Bible, as James the just, which is really powerful, or James just the brother of our Lord. He wrote the, the kind of epistle that we see at the very kind of end of your Bible, getting close to the end of your Bible. And here's just some context for you about this man of faith. The writer James, we know at least, he he really was the half-brother of Jesus. He wasn't necessarily a disciple at the time, and yet if you read John 7, the Bible actually says that the brothers of Jesus kind of sent him on his way because they didn't really believe in him. Jesus' own half-brother did not believe in him until we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, he becomes one of the earliest eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And because of that moment... Seeing him on the cross and then seeing him raised up, again, with Easter just a week past, like before us here, similar to James, seeing what happened, his life was dramatically changed. And from that moment on, he becomes not just a follower of Jesus, but a leader in the early church. Uh, he he actually stays in Jerusalem as part of that group in Acts 1, that that form the upper room and pray as the Holy Spirit comes. From that moment forward, he stays in Jerusalem. The church grows. He's appointed by Peter, John, he becomes a bishop to the early church. His letter that you read, the, the five chapters in James, was written in Acts 8, 9, 10, 11, like right in that that moment. It's all happening with that in that space. It's one of the it is probably the earliest New Testament document we have. And all of that is an, in, amazing because, again, he goes from not a believer to early church leader to spiritual father to forgiving martyr. History tells us, 2nd second, um, second century BC, tells us that James was thrown off three or four um, floors up. And when he hit the ground, he didn't die. And history says that he, in that moment, began to get stoned by the people around him. But in that, he was shouting prayers of forgiveness for every rock that hit him. And sorry to be graphic for a moment for the kids in here, but the, the history tells us that that still didn't kill him. <laughs> and that finally a man came up to club him to death. And as he was doing it, history says that he was uttering prayers of forgiveness for that man in his club. And now there's a statue of James in Belgium and he holds a, statue, he holds a club, the very thing that killed him. Not a believer, early church leader, spiritual father, martyr. I think it just goes to show you how powerful the resurrection is. Amen. That man, the resurrection power of Jesus truly changes anyone and everyone who will hear the gospel truth. And it radically changed his life and it, it shaped him into becoming an early church. Like the Bible, like the Bible says that Peter was scared of James because of how moral and upright he was. This is a man after God And he writes these words. Again, we're going to be in James 1. With all that being said, James 1, uh, verse 19. You ready, church? My dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Just stop there for a moment. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many marital fights would that have stopped this week, right? <laughs> right, Or even just friend. like it doesn't matter. Arguments with the boss, friend, whoever it is. Like this alone, this alone is such a powerful testament. And it really reads like a proverb. It reads like the wisdom literature. It's just saying like, hold on a second. Everyone should be quick to listen, not quick to speak, not quick to jump in. Not quick to get your, your word in, your thought. Well, I heard or I read. Well, that's not quite what happened. Let's replay those events. No, no, no. This reads like a proverb. and When I see it, it's saying, slow down. Humble yourself. Your words matter just as much as the other person's. Humility, humility, humility. In a disagreement, though, I have to... No, humility. Yeah, but they're totally wrong. I know for a fact... Humility. Slow down, humble yourself, quick to listen, slow to speak. Friends, let's be honest, our first reaction to things aren't always our best reaction to things. It's the truth. Human anger, James writes, doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. He is asking his believers to live a life that speaks and, 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 and emulates the righteousness, the right standing that we know we have with Jesus because of the cross he wants us to live that out and jumping in and getting your word in and, and trying to fight that, like he's saying, no. It's interesting. James was a Nazarite. We know that, right? James is a righteous man. And there's, there's, like, he really upheld the word and the law to a very high standard. He even tells, it's Paul in Acts 21. He actually gets in a bit of a, a, bit of a disagreement and says, listen, there are so many Jews in the area that need to know Jesus, you need to step it up. You actually need to take the Nazarite vow specifically with these four men and pay their way so that they can go into the temple and hear the gospel. And so Paul does it. He listens. He says, okay, fine. And so he doesn't cut his hair and he doesn't eat certain foods and he doesn't drink alcohol. And the Nazarite vow is a very specific thing. And James is saying, we have like we have a part to play in chasing and submitting to the grace of Christ, the law of liberty. But how do we do this? Truly, like There is a challenge and a tension I'm sure many of us are feeling right now where we we want to live righteously and obediently but not making it our pathway to earn salvation. Right, that's the tension. We're like, well, I don't want to become all righteous because then I'll, you know, I don't, because religion is, that's not what James is saying. What he's saying is this, I think. I think he gives us the answer. Slow down and humbly accept the word planted in you. The word meaning the, like the logos, which is the same, it's a word that's actually quite popular in Greek. The, the, the New Testament writers use it a lot. It's that same, like the word, it's the same word used in John 1. When, when John's referencing Jesus, he was the word at the beginning. It's the expressed thoughts of the Father through the Spirit. It's Jesus' words that he wrote and said. And a lot of, again, what you read in James reads a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. He really references a lot of those things. But church, can I just say this? Can we just slow down a bit? Like this whole get hungry and hustle and grind and get two jobs and this and that and you need more and you... What? We're not called to live with all this excess. We're not called to, to like, hustle more and hunger more and this. We're called to actually slow down. Jesus didn't run from town to town. He walked. Jesus didn't sprint from ministry to ministry. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray to be with the Father. We read about this in the story, like he doesn't rush to Lazarus. Yes, I know he's the son of God, but there's something to be said about this. There's a great book um, out right now, that, that, this is a quote from it. it says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Hurry is violence on your soul. When I read that, I think, man, there is something, there's something true about that. In a society that's always trying to win and get more and more and more, and the burnout rate, and the, and the implications it puts on our health. Friends, in your conversations, in your marriage, in your work, in processing theology and doctrine, in your rest, in your decisions, slow down and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God speak. Someone needs that this week. You're facing something, and God is saying, don't rush it. Slow down. Be patient. Let the word of God take root. It will provide a way, and it will give you the righteousness. It will help righteousness rise up and, and, and have that moral filth like he writes fade away. You can't digest the word if you don't let it take root. Like, it has to take root, and I just think we have to understand that the word of God, it stands true, and it is pure, and you need it, church. That's so why the Bible says that the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the God when talking, when talking with the armor of God. Man, in, in, in a world that we live in, we need the word. The purity of God's word can preserve us even as we engage in an impure age. Charles Spurgeon wrote that. It's true. That was, that was years ago too. That last verse. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, James writes, and humbly except the word planted in you which can save you. James was so devout. He, was, he just held such a high view of the word of God, of Jesus' words, of the law, of the Torah, of the whole thing. He truly believed it mattered. Even in Acts 15, there's a big disagreement about how the Gentiles, and we're doing a series in Acts, so I'm not gonna get too much into these stories, but it's just so cool reading James' letter and knowing how it was happening in real time in, in the book of Acts. And there's a disagreement between kind of Paul and Peter, and they're kind of talking about should the Gentiles have to get circumcised or not? And finally, James steps in and everyone quiets because he's the man in the early church. He says a few words and then he quotes Amos. He's like, it's not my words that need to, that need to happen here. It's the word of God. And you see that again. This is verse 22. Let's keep reading his, his, his letter. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Someone needs to underline that in their Bible today. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's a challenging like chunk of scripture it was common in the ancient world to to have a teacher to be led under a rabbi specifically jews and so this is this is normal to study under someone and to listen to what they're saying and to do what they're saying to to live out what they said was the way to live out this is what me being a disciple means and I think we throw that word around. And even this, this week in my notes, I even wrote, is, I know it sounds wild. I'm, I know I'm a, like, am I a disciple or am I a follower of the crowd? Just as I was reading and writing and thinking like, Lord, every day make me a disciple, someone who comes under, who follows your word, who's not just a hearer, but also a doer. Let me be someone who lives obediently to the law, your perfect law that gives freedom. It doesn't chain you up. Doesn't withhold you from the grace of God. It brings freedom. It lifts me up. It encourages me to live righteously. Because if we do what it says, the Bible says, we will be blessed. And I think James is, I believe he is so aware of what a life looks like when you don't believe, right? Because again, his conversion story has just taken place that now he's like, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you missing? You're missing out. He's saying, like, how can you read this, see this, know this, and not do this? One plus one is two. Like, he's just, he's, he, there's no nuance with this. It's, for him, it's very black and white. I've seen the evidence. I have witnessed the resurrection. Therefore, that gives, there's implications to that on how I live, on how I love, on how I, ch- like, face the world, on how I work on my business ethics, in my marriage, in my friendship, in my small group, in the way I serve. How can you forget? He rose, church. He lives, church. Therefore, I live. John 14, right? Like, that's what he's, that's what he's saying. This whole analogy of the mirror is interesting. Like, a mirror for us, there's so much better now. We, we look at a mirror for, like, either we're really close to it or we just do the quick... Okay, and then we walk away, right? You ever do that? I don't know why we do this, as if this now changes my ensemble, you know? I know some of you read that, you're like, I looked in the mirror this morning, I don't, I don't know my face, I couldn't tell you. Like, but back then, these mirrors, all had, they all had different reflections, so you had to look one spot to look closer, and it was challenging. So you're like, what really James is trying to say here is like, with deep inspection, when you look in a mirror, you looked in it with like, there was a purpose to look in a mirror. And so he's saying, like, with deep inspection, studying, examining every part, you're only doing that in the mirror today if you're looking for a gray hair. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had. I'd take gray hair. I'd take any more hair. Whatever it takes. Like, uh, gray hair is better than no hair, okay? If you got some grays, it's not a bad thing. Live your life. I wish. I really wish. It's, like, deep, like, inspection moment here. It's not just quick. It's, like, with scrutiny to look deep, to find, like, I was recently having a conversation with someone and uh, we were having coffee. This person's not a Christian, but they've been kind of attending once in a while and they're asking me questions about our church and me and what I do. And it was so interesting. They were like, but are you like, are you like one of those Christians? <laughs> I love the laugh. Are you, of, are you one of, is Coastline one of those churches though? You like, like one of them? I was like, I don't know what you mean. Like one of those who loves Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus, and I love my what? Like no, and like you know those churches that's really intense about everything, and like you know you have to like you, you do this, and you are you know on you're always doing the things, and you you hold certain values, and like you don't read the whole Bible and believe in all of those things. Right? Like Jesus didn't do it, Like he didn't actually walk on water. You don't believe in Jonah in the whale. And I'm like, okay. And then I had some more conversation, and I asked what. He did, and he's a teacher. And I was like, you're not one of those teachers, are you? (laughs) Really did. And and close enough that he knew I was being facetious, but honestly, the question stands. It's like, you don't, like, really help all your students, do you? You only grade half those papers and give Bs to the rest. I know, because I was one of those guys that got Bs, and I did not deserve them. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You're not one of those doctors, are you? that like listens and really tries and you just prescribe and pass them on, right? You're not one of those like police officers that really obeys the law. <laughs> you're not one of those dads that, or moms that gets down on one knee and really asks what's wrong and prays with your kids. You just give them a fruit roll up and let them watch blippy, right? Like that's what, <laughs> you're not one of those husbands or wives, right? That's fully committed and stays away from anything that would get in the way of your vow to your spouse. You're not of them. See how silly that sounds? I'm being, see, I'm trying to point out how silly that sounds. We are not called to listen and hear and not do. And I think I'm making, I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun at the, at the, I don't know, the argument, if you will, but I think there's a fair point because there are a lot of Christians who don't do, that we don't act that we don't have it like it says in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. We've felt like we've had to apologize or, or make amends for believing in something or stepping away from a circumstance. Or, or like I know even sometimes for me, I've been at moments where I'm the pastor, so guess what, I'm gonna pray. And I used to be like, it's okay, like it's your house, you can do it. And now I'm like, I'll happily pray. Bow your hands, hold your, no, I'm just kidding. I, you know, but like we almost have this moment where we feel like I don't wanna have to sound like this or be like this church. James is writing something very clearly to the church. Jesus calls us to live this way. He's asking us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. To not just have an idea of Jesus. To not just have an idea of Jesus. But to really say, the resurrection is true. Therefore, my sin stays dead and buried, and I am a new creation. I follow Jesus with all that I have. I do not care what the world says, but I continue to say, God, what do you have for me? And I will do everything I can to live in that light of grace and mercy by adhering to what you ask me to do, being obedient to what you ask me to do. And I don't want to be someone who's just like, ah, maybe... I want to be like, James. I want to be a devout follower of Jesus. Because I really believe being a devout follower of Jesus is the only follower you should be. I mean it. This is challenging to hear. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. But there is a real challenge here for us. And there are seasons of hurt, there are seasons of doubt, there are seasons where faith is more challenging than others. Of course. Absolutely. I'm not saying there isn't. But in those seasons, can I encourage you to lean in to the word of God, to lean into the church, to call someone, to ask for help, to to lean into prayer. Those are the seasons that really define us. James talks about it in verses like six through seven through eight. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you're facing any trials or afflictions of any kind. That's what he actually says. And so I'm just encouraging you today. Yeah, let's be that church or those Christians that love Jesus, love his word, listen to his word, slowly walk with him through life, obeying what he has commanded us to do, not what anyone else is asking us to do. Amen. Last night, I got, to, I got to preach at a youth rally here in town at Life Tree and it was awesome. And we were just preaching, and, and, and there, was, there was such a hunger in, in, in the room, and there was kids worshiping everywhere, and at the end, we, we made a call, I made a call, that there would be a repentance, that there would be a running to Jesus, that they would not seek anything else for affirmation or wholeness, and hands were, like, rosen up. I got to pray with some of the students in our community, come running to the altar, kneeling down all saying Jesus I lay it all down and at the end of the night the end of the night this one girl I guess came up to her leader and said what's next I've heard the gospel now what like what, what now my heart's all his and, and he's like well you could I guess maybe baptism and it's like yeah let's do that can we do, where can we go and I'm like well we do have a tank in the back that was we we're using for games let's go and so at 10, like 10.30 last night, this girl decides to get baptized with a floodlight and glow sticks. Like, and we have a video of it. The team has it. I just want to show you this. because It's quick, it's, but it's just so powerful to see this. This is real time. Come on, come on. Lord, give us that faith. Give us that encouragement. This is like, yeah, 10.30 in the back of a church in a cleaning device, like you know what I'm saying like, like this is just glow sticks and a floodlight saying like what's next now what, now what what's my next step, I've heard the gospel it's changed my life, now I want to do now I want to go, now I want to live, this is again man. I love that it's the young pushing the old and the old pushing the young I love that we do it together I love seeing this, this young girl just saying what's next I want to just be here I want to be a doer Final set of verses says this: For those who consider themselves re- religious, this is verse twenty-six, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a lot there. It's challenging. Religion here is not used in a positive sense in the, in, in the Greek. It's, it is sometimes, but this word, Toiskaya is this kind of like, um, it's used in Acts 17, 25, 26, Colossians 2. It's used a lot and it's, it's this worship as expressed in ritual acts. Or another way of saying it, one commentator wrote, it's when you, when you put your worship in God's mouth. Ultimately, what James is trying to say is he's saying, you can see yourself as religious but not be in right standing with Jesus. And he's putting, again, an emphasis on words. He's saying your words can say one thing, but your actions are showing another. You consider yourself religious, yet I hear the things you say. And really, again, he's just pointing out the double-sidedness here. He's saying don't do one thing and say another or say one thing and not do it the back and forth. He's talking about integrity. He's talking about having a high value on what Christ has done in your life and having a high value on what that means to every person you encounter. And so he is using examples and I would encourage you. Can I I bless you with this this week? Let your week be filled with words that uplift your soul. I'm talking about words you say to yourself. Let your let your week be filled with words that speak life into your homes, into your marriages, into your workplaces, into your friendships. Let there be a heavenly language, a spiritual utterance, whatever it may be for you, that bless every single space and every single person you meet. Religion that is acceptable, he goes on to say, look after orphans and widows and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's kind of the second time he's mentioned that, the moral filth he referenced a few verses earlier. Don't be double-sided. Don't say one thing and do another. Don't, don't come and consume and never let it impact the way you do business, the way you do life, the way you do marriage, the way you do with your friends, the, the way you live out, the way you go to school, the, the future in your life. Don't be a consumer but actually engage, engage and contribute. Don't say one thing, do another, but in every sphere of your life, stay true to God's word. Let your faith be seen and God will mature you and grow you daily. That's the real, there's a real need in front of you. Andy mentioned this recently too. How in the Galatians it says we should especially help those who are in the household of the faith. There might be, there might be a widower within six feet of you right now. You may know someone who who you know is feeling really desperate and really struggling right now. Pray for them. Call them. Bless them with something. Give them something. You may know someone who's just going through loss. Reach out, be the hands and feet. Don't just be hearers, be doers. You may know someone who needs your Christmas bonus a whole lot more than you do this year. Give. Find the person that is in need and bless and love them. Live a life that lives outward and obedient to God and his word. Otherwise, what else is the point James is saying? What else is the point? And I know it. sometimes we hear messages like this that feel very, thematically feel very action-y. Go and do. But I want to remind you, and I think this letter serves as a reminder. I don't think the main theme or only theme, I should say, of James is action. Faith without deeds is worthless, dad, he says. I don't think that's the only theme. Because again, just to go and do is one thing. My question to our church is what is God calling you exactly to do? Because we can all go and do things, but that doesn't mean that's the right thing. We can all go and act, but I want to know how Jesus is calling you to live and you to act. What does obedient action look like in your life, not just action from the church? Because sometimes, honestly, there's a great book. It's called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes we we think we're doing what's right, and it's not the right thing. So what is Jesus saying to your heart, to your family? What's the mandate he has called you to fulfill in your life, in your community? What is the very thing that he's saying? I've called you to do this thing. James was called to be a a pastor of Jerusalem, and he never left. All the other apostles, they went to India and Asia Minor and all these different places. But James was called to stay to the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he stayed put until he died. He did not leave because that was his mission, his obedience, his calling. And can I tell you something? This is not like a a burden-filled, awful life of obedience that's really hard. This is where joy comes, by living in the mission and the calling that God has put on your life. That's where the zoe life, the life and life to the full John ten ten, it actually comes from. That's when you feel like you're living and, and like actually doing and making a difference. When you're living and acting and responding to the gospel in the gifts he has given you. There's no better feeling. Amen? It doesn't have to be a pulpit or a, a program or a not-for-profit. It can be right in your business. It can be right in your homes. Maybe he has called you just to be the greatest, in this season, the greatest grandfather possible. You have grandkids who need your wisdom in life. They need you to take them out. They need you to sit with them. They need you to talk with them and pray with them. And they need, maybe that's all it is right now because of your season. Live it obediently. That is the call that he's called you to fight for. I could go all day. I don't want to. It's not what I'm trying to do. I just... There's a devotion to Christ in who James is. There's a commitment to his word in what he writes. And, and there's a readiness, like a real readiness to love obediently. Like Pastor Steph said, he's mimicking Philippians 2.8, that Jesus, in his, even though he had the appearance of a man, he, he lived and walked obediently to death, even death on a cross criminal's death. So there's one thing about heroes, and I'm, I'm, I'm closing with this, it's that they don't fight for status, they fight for a life of obedience. And I just want us to be that church. I want to be that church, amen? I want us to be that, I want to be that Christian, whatever they can put the, the, the bunny ears on me, I'll be that, I'll take it. Because that's, that's a life worth living, that's a life that's exciting. That's a life that Jesus calls us to. That's a life with hope and peace and comfort and making a difference. So yeah, let's go. Let's be doers. But let's, let's hold the word close. Let's hold Jesus close. Let's not be a spectator. And let's live obedient to Jesus. Can I pray over you? Lord, our eyes are closed and our heart is keenly listening to you. I pray right now, Lord for the person who has felt they've just lost their way. They knew, they had an idea of what you were calling them to do, how to live, even just in their their season. And lately, they've just been going through the motions. Right now, for the person who is going through the motions, comes on Sunday, retreats back to old habits on Monday, goes to group on Wednesday, but just doesn't feel that next push. I pray in Jesus' name right now, that you would change the desires of their heart, that there'd be a radical jump to obedient life, that, Lord, we would be inspired like like James, who was so perplexed and yet also pushed by the cross to go and live a life that never compromised. God, I pray for the, the marital couple in here that has just been compromising. They know, they both know. For the, for the single person in here who just continues to kind of waver and is living more like the culture and the world and feels almost like they're being discipled by the world. Jesus, would you, they feel a great embrace right now to live and follow under you, Jesus? I pray that there'd be hope in this room. I pray that callings would come back to people in this room right now. I pray there'd be a radical turn of repentance and now obedience to follow the very life that you have called us to live. God, I pray that we would not be scared to go to the dark places, but we would be committed and devoted to the very thing you've called us to do, that we would live a life of obedience, that we would, we would have this religion that you write, Lord, that is pure and faultless, that looks after one another, that cares for those in distress. And Jesus, would we be people who feel such a, a grave pull to a life of obedience? Yeah, we'll be those Christians, Lord. Send us. Yeah, we'll be that church, Jesus. Use us. Our hands are open. Our heart is ready. So fill us with your call, with your anointing, Holy Spirit. And I pray right now for the person who has felt ashamed or bad about not living up to No, no, Lord. It's not about living up. It's about living with you, Jesus. Lord, so start fresh right now, a heart in here that feels like I'm ready to go. God, help the person who has just been going through the motions to commit deeply to your word into to your path in front of them. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said. Amen. Come on, everybody said.